Amen, amen. Well, if you have a Bible with you, uh, why don't you go ahead and pull that out, whether it's on your phone app or whether you want to grab one of the pew Bibles and go ahead and open to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22. It feels like this has been a long time coming. Uh, 28 weeks ago, we started our journey through the book of Revelation. And today, we find ourselves in our final chapter. But before we dive in, I just have one question that I want to ask. And this is rhetorical, but if you want to raise your hand, uh, I'll make sure to call you out. Uh, But how many of you have ever said or thought, I wish I could go back to the way things were? I wish that I could go back to the way things were. And so for everybody on the stream, almost everybody rose their hand in the sanctuary. I wish I could go back to the way things were. Maybe when you had that thought or you said it out loud, maybe it was some decade that you really, really loved. And you just want to go back to that decade. Or... Maybe it was a season in your life. And you're just like, that was a really good season for me. Or maybe it was, you know, a pastor in the church. And you're like, man, I wish we could go back to that other guy. Well, I'm sorry, you're stuck with me. But I don't know what it might be for you, but at some point, we've all probably had this question, I really wish I could go back to the way things were. I know I've thought that before. Sometimes I really wish I'd go back to college. Those were really, really easy years to do life. I got to live with all of my closest friends. You know, I got to go to these things called classes or not go to them. I don't know. Um... All the food that I wanted was readily available, and I didn't have to pay for it, even though I was, for sure, uh, or, or the parents were. Um, there are so many things. Or, or you know what? I, could, I wish I could go back to the 90s, because the 90s is when I was a kid, and I was so carefree, you know, like, wasn't worried about where that my next meal was coming from, wasn't worried about the finances of the household, you know, all I had to be worried about was whether or not I was going to get in trouble for staying out too late. You know, simpler times, simpler times. We actually wanted to be outside, and I didn't have a cell phone to, you know, play on 24-7. I loved the 90s. So, like, we had just enough technology to enjoy it, but not enough that it consumed us yet. You know, I've always had that. I've always had that mentality. Sometimes I wish I could go back to the way things were. You see, it can be really easy to slip into this mindset of the past, to think about the things that were, to long for what was and want to return to that place. But what if that yearning, that longing that's inside of us was really because of something deeper within. And we touched on this a lot last week, but I want to take it from a different perspective. What if that longing 
was because we actually really did want to get back to the way things were. But not 10 years ago, not 30 years ago, not even 50 years ago, or 100 years ago, but all the way back. You see, a few months ago, we were walking through a book in our Sunday school class called The Epic of Eden by Dr. Sandra Richter. And she says this in the final paragraphs of that book. And so we have come full circle. What began in Eden ends in Eden. God's original intent to offer kingdom citizenship to every man, woman, and child has been reaccomplished in Christ. God's original plan that the children of Adam might build their city in the midst of his kingdom is recreated in the new earth. His driving desire to be with us is fulfilled as the presence that walked in the garden now illuminates the new Jerusalem. As the final chapters of the New Testament declare the great rescue has been accomplished, Adam is safely home. And when I say that word Adam, I'm not talking about Adam. I'm talking about the Hebrew word for man, for humanity, Adam. Man is finally home and is safely home in the place that he was always made to be. So we have come full circle. What began in Eden ends in Eden. And so let us read Revelation chapter 22 together. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, bright as crystal coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of its street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there will no longer be any curse. And the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his slaves will serve him. And they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And there will no longer be any night, and they will not have any need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits and of the prophets, sent his angel to show to his slaves the things which must soon take place. And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who is hearing and seeing these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow slave with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. 
And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the one who does unrighteousness still do unrighteousness. And the one who is filthy still be filthy. And let the one who is righteous still do righteousness. And the one who is holy still keep himself holy. Behold, I am coming quickly. And my reward is with me to render to every man according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the authority to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. I, Jesus, sent my angel to bear witness to you of these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star, and the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to receive the water of life without cost. I bear witness to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. Who hears and bears witness to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, these are the final words of the word that you gave in the Old Testament and the New. And as we hear them, Lord, let our hearts sing with praise and worship and glory. And may we bless your holy name for what you began in Eden comes to its full realization and revelation. We love you, Lord. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, as we begin to open up this final chapter, I want to turn to the very beginning. I want to turn to Genesis. And I want to read from chapter 2. I could start in chapter 1. With my lengthiness of words, we might not have time. So we're just going to start in chapter 2. In verse 8. And we're going to jump a little bit. And Yahweh God planted a garden in Eden. And Eden, mind you, is the Hebrew word for delight. It was a garden of delight. And so he planted a garden in Eden toward the east, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. 
And out of the ground, Yahweh God caused to grow every tree that is desirable in appearance and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And now a river went out of Eden to water the garden. And from there it was divided and became four rivers, jumping to verse 15. And then Yahweh God took the man and set him in the garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. And Yahweh God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may surely eat. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat from it. For in the day that you eat it, eat from it, you will surely die. Before I go any further, I want us to take a moment and just imagine Eden. And then go back to Revelation 22 and imagine the next Eden. What do we see? We see rivers and trees and gardens. We see so much. We see man in that garden in both pictures. But we continue in chapter 3 and we know what happens. We know the story. They were placed in this garden to keep it, but they were given one command to obey, to not eat of a certain tree. But the serpent, wise and crafty in his ways, deceives Adam and Eve to eat of the fruit. And they eat of that fruit, and then... In verse 8 of chapter 3 in Genesis. And then they heard the sound of Yahweh God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Mind you, let's remind ourselves also what's in Revelation 22 in that garden. God. And what was in the garden of of Eden originally? God. His physical presence on the earth. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of Yahweh God in the midst of the trees and of the garden. And Yahweh God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And then the story goes on and Adam blames Eve and Eve blames the serpent. And then God gets to this moment where he begins to pronounce curses over the serpent. And then hardship over the woman. And then I'm going to jump to this one part in chapter 3. Verse 22 through, oh sorry, not 22, 17 and through 19. And then to Adam he says this, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. 
in pain you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. And by the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And then jumping to 22, what else happens? Then Yahweh God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he send forth his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat from it, and he would live forever. Therefore, Yahweh God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. And so he drove man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. And so man was placed in this garden to cultivate it, to work it, to work it on behalf of God. But God gave man one command, do not eat from this one tree. Everything else is yours except that. Except that you are in the garden of delight. Everything is yours for your pleasure, for your enjoyment. All of it. And you know what? Even I'm going to come down and walk with you as you live and be. And then we messed it up. And we did the one thing we weren't supposed to do. And if you think that you wouldn't have done it, you're wrong. All of us would have grabbed the fruit of the tree and ate. Because Jesus was always God's plan A. He knew even when he created them that they would disobey. And so we were created for Eden, and then we were shoved out of it because of our decision. And then we get a long history of humanity from that moment, but all of it has been God's story to put man in the garden. Always, that has always been his plan is to put man back in the garden. You know, I read once, and this is just a little side note, how cool is it that there is only one family in all of history that will experience Eden as it originally was, will experience creation after the fall, and will experience creation upon its return in newness. That's Adam and Eve. They know what it was like before, after, and when it's restored. But that's what we're looking at today is this restoration. We talked about it a little bit last week, but I want to talk about it from the garden perspective. And so as we open our Bibles back to Revelation chapter 22, I want to start reading how we see Eden restored. And so we open and we start reading verse 1 and 22. And then he showed me a river of the water of life. There is a river in Eden which was meant to give life to the garden. And now there is a river in the new Eden that is to give life to all things. It's a better river 
It's the best river. And this time, it's bright as crystal, and it comes from the throne of God and of the Lamb. God is the sovereign one over that river, and it flows from him. Before it flowed out of the Garden of Eden, this time it comes directly from God. And then in the middle of its street, on either side of the river, and so imagine that. First you have this river, and then you have a tree so big it straddles the, straddles the river on both sides. And on either side of the river was the tree of life. The tree of life is back. Before, cherubim were placed in the garden so that man couldn't get to the tree of life because had they reached out and taken from the tree of life after they had eaten from the tree of good and the knowledge of good and evil, then man would have lived forever in their sin. But God wanted a better way, a redemptive way, which means they couldn't go and grab that fruit. But now, as we step into eternity, the tree of life is back. And who is it for? It's for us. Because it was bearing all kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit in every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. It's good fruit. Remember, Eden is delight. And it will bear all its fruit in all its seasons for all to eat. And there will no longer be any curse. You see, what happened after they ate from the fruit? The ground became cursed. God never cursed man. But he cursed creation. He cursed the ground. So that Fruit wouldn't yield itself as easily. Man had to toil and work by the sweat of his brow. But the curse is no more. Why? Because at the throne of God and of the Lamb, he will be in it, and his slaves will serve him. Well, what were we meant to do in the original garden? To work it, to cultivate it. For who? For God. He asks us to cultivate it for Him. And then what do we do when we return? We serve Him. How do we serve Him? Once again, by working in the garden. Only this time, we work and we don't hurt because of it. We work and we don't get frustrated. We work because everybody does their part and nobody is lacking or slacking. We work, and it is our delight and our joy. You might be thinking, I, I thought that I was just going to get a harp. I thought I was just going to strum that all the days of my life, sit on a cloud. No, you're going to work, but it's good work. It's not work that you're going to hate. It's not work that you're going to wish was ever over. It's not work where you feel like you, you need a vacation. It's not work where you think you have to Sabbath, where you have to rest from it, because guess what? It's always Sabbath. 
worked is always good in the kingdom of heaven in eternity. And so it is good work. No more do you feel like you're laboring and not getting anywhere because the curse has been removed. And then verse 4, and they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. We will see the very face of God. Just like in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve got to walk with God in the garden, they saw him face to face. But since that moment that they ate of the tree, no longer could they look at the face of God. No longer did God come and walk with them. In fact, in Exodus chapter 33, verse 20, when Moses asked God if he can see his glory, God says, you can't look at my face because the day that a man does, he will surely die. And so in the Old Testament, no one can look on the face of God. Well, then Jesus comes. Things shift a little bit. You see, in John chapter 14, verse 9, what does Jesus say? He says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Okay, so the Word became flesh. God became incarnate. He walked among us, Emmanuel. And we got to look on the face of God physically in the form of Jesus. Yet none have actually seen the face of the Father yet. Well then, Jesus makes a way for us. And by making a way for us in his death and in his resurrection for all who believe in him, we then get to be in God's spiritual presence again. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6. A way was made for us to again once to be in the presence of God. So all along the way, there's little bits of redemption, of restoration. But finally, we get to 22 verse 4. As we walk into the new Eden, and we get to see God face to face. In all of who he is. No longer are we longing to see the face of our Father we get to. What a day that will be that we stand before Him and see Him in His face. And there's no repercussion for it. There's no threat of death. There is only life and glory and delight. That is Eden restored. That is everything that we look forward to. That is everything that Scripture was about from cover to cover, is that as man was placed in the original garden and then was shoved out of it, Jesus made the way for us to walk back in. Jesus made the way that we get to walk with God. Jesus made the way that we get to eat from the tree of life and drink from the river of life forever and ever and ever.
from Eden to Eden is our story. From Eden to Eden is our story. So what about the rest of this chapter? What's what we're supposed to do now that we know? To Eden we return. First and foremost, we read in verse 7, And behold, I am coming quickly. These are the words of Jesus. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. He's coming quickly. There's an urgency here for us to be aware of. An urgency to be aware that Jesus will come back soon. And now you're like, well, he wrote that. John wrote this like one, you know, like 90 A.D. It's 2023. Well, yeah, but a thousand years is like a day to God. So here we are, 2,000 years later, still waiting. But I also want to put this forward to you. That word in the Greek for quickly also has another meaning. Suddenly. It can also translate as the word suddenly. Which, I mean, if I recall in Matthew 24, 43, Jesus said that he is going to come like a thief in the night. Suddenly he will return. Who will be ready? Who will be waiting? So it's not just an urgency. It's not just an urgency, but it's a, it's a place to be in our heart, to worship him and to know at any moment he could come back. Like a thief in the night. Are you ready for that moment? And so what does it look like to be ready? Revelation verse 10 and he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. There is an importance to know what is written in the witness of Revelation. But what is that witness? Ultimately, the realization of the coming kingdom of God. What did Jesus say his gospel was? To proclaim that the kingdom of God is near. In fact, it is already come. The gospel is a kingdom gospel. One that all can enter into and that it is here now and yet we are still waiting for the final realization found in Revelation. That is our joy and we are to hold that close to our heart. Why? So we can tell others. See, what I love about this final chapter in 22 is it begins by telling us the cycle of going from Eden to Eden. In fact, the Bible ends where it began. And the second part of 22 is Revelation ends where Revelation began. Because what are those first words in Revelation chapter 1? We've read them many times. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words 
of the prophecy and keep the things which are written in it for the time is near. It's almost identical. Why? Because the Lord is calling us to keep it at heart so that we can share it with others. It is to share. It is to go out. So what does it mean we're not supposed to do? Verse 11. So let the one who does unrighteous still do unrighteousness, and the one who is filthy still be filthy. And let the one who is righteous still do righteous, and the one who is holy still keep himself holy. You're asking yourself, what do you mean that's not what we're supposed to do? Well, here's how I read that verse, how I like to think about it. You see, the church has ended up in a really interesting place, I think, at least in America. The church has either become the moral police or they've become cultural champions. It seems that the church either really wants to tell everybody how they should behave and act and follow the law of God, or they have said, well, God is love, and so we can throw the law away, and you can do whatever you want. It's really weird how the church has either ended up on these two extremes when neither of them have anything to do with what the purpose of the church is. You might be saying, how are you getting that from what we just read? Well, maybe you've heard the saying once that says, do not be surprised when unsaved people act like they are unsaved. Let me say that one more time. Do not be surprised when unsaved people act like they are unsaved. Don't be surprised when sinners act like sinners. Duh. They don't have Jesus. They don't know any other way. That's what happened in the garden when they ate of the fruit. Disobedience. So don't be surprised when sinners act like sinners. And I think that's what's being said here. Let the one that does unrighteous do what's unrighteous, and the filthy one continue to be filthy. But you who are righteous in Christ pursue righteousness, and the one that has been made holy by Christ pursue holiness. But don't be surprised when the world around you who does not know him doesn't act like you. But in the midst of that, be gospel proclaimers. The gospel is not do this and you can be right with God. The gospel is receiving somebody in relationship and then God takes care of the rest. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 28. We've all heard this before. This is the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to keep all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let me reread that, how I think that many of us read that. Go teaching everybody to obey all that I have commanded them. And then make them disciples. And then baptize them. We've gotten that order so mixed up. We think it's about people keeping commands before they've become disciples. Well, how did they become disciples? Jesus said, Come to me, 
and come follow me. He made no other requirement to the disciples before they first came to him and then followed him. And then when they did that, he began to teach them all the things that they should be and all the things they should do and what it looks like to walk in righteousness. Make invitations to hungry people to be filled with joy in Christ Jesus. That is our mission statement. We aren't inviting them to obey a certain list of rules. We're inviting them into a relationship with God, with Jesus, and with the Holy Spirit, so that when they come to know him, then God does the rest. God does the work of changing their heart little by little by little. Because the reality is, if I asked you, were you perfect today? I bet you many of you would say, nope, I woke up, stubbed my toe, and I said a cuss word. Oh, sorry, that was me. We are all still making mistakes. We're all still making them. But the question is, are we allowing ourselves to be transformed little by little by little by Jesus? And guess what? He doesn't hold it against you. He paid for it. He paid for every sin in the past, every sin in the present, and every sin to come. Because there's going to be sin to come. Right? But he made a way. He made a way in himself. For us to get to the place where sin is no more. And pain is no more. And suffering is no more. And every tear will be wiped away. And we will stand in the garden of delight. And we will delight first and foremost in God. And worship him all the days of our life. And serve him to no end. And then we will enjoy each other. And we will enjoy rich, delicious food. We will drink from waters that we can't even begin to imagine. You might be an Evian person. You might be a Fiji person. And for the love of you, you might be a Dasani person. I don't know. But you will drink from waters that are beyond compare when you drink from the water of the river of life. God is at work in us so that we could share the gospel and make disciples, not be moral police. I'll end with this, 17 through 21. There is one cry, one cry. The Spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who wishes receive the water of life without cost. And I bear witness to everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this book. Everyone. 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 Bear witness to everyone. And let the words of your mouth become. Come. Come. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We love you. You have called us into such glorious riches, such a glorious inheritance. And that inheritance is what we receive when we stand before you and for the first time 
Since the beginning, we get to see you face to face. And we get to return to Eden and enjoy all that it offers and all that it affords and every delight and pleasure. Because pleasures flow from your right hand evermore. And as we drink from the water of the river of life and we eat from the fruit of the tree of life, Lord, we love you. And we thank you for the gift that is your son that has redeemed us by his blood and given us eternal life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.